Good morning. Uh, so the reading today is from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he may not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into fa the favour and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. As you see fit, so deal with your servants. <clears throat> so he consented with them in this manner, and they tested them ten days. At, and at the end of the ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine which that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. <clears throat> now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. 
and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, hello, welcome to lockdown. Um, hopefully you can find the church notices and the sermon outline there. Um, let me pray as we come to think about um, this book of the Bible, Daniel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word in the Bible now, we pray that you would be speaking to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would show us what it means to live for you in a world that's waiting for Jesus to return. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read in the newspaper, well, a good number of years ago now, about an Australian family on holidays in New Zealand. They were doing the, the tour, you know, driving around in one of those camper vans. And the parents got the shock of their life when the police pulled them over and let them know that they had their daughter. They'd found her on the side of the road. They'd accidentally left their daughter at one of their tourist stops. She was abandoned and a very long way from home. A passing driver noticed her crying. They stopped. She said her family had driven away without her. It's pretty hard to, to keep it together when you're in that sort of situation, isn't it? When you feel abandoned like that. But this little girl, she hung in there. She knew the number plate on the camper van. It's not their regular car, but she knew the number plate on the camper van. So the police were able to track the parents down and stop them and reunite the family. She could have come to pieces. She could have made everything that much harder for the authorities to, to track down the family. But instead, she kept a fairly clear head. And that's not an easy thing to do. It's hard to keep it together when you're abandoned, when you're a long way from home. Here in Daniel chapter 1, at verse 6, we meet Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. These men, they were torn away from their family and their friends and taken into a foreign country. This is clearly infinitely worse than being left on the side of the road in New Zealand. These young men were enrolled in a three-year training program, you'll see in verse five, to prepare them to serve a foreign king. These Jewish boys were to be taught the language and the literature of the Babylonians, you see there in verse four. The New International Version of the Bible says they were to be taught the ways of the Babylonians. And there's a footnote to the bottom of your page where it says um, the word for Babylonians, um, the actual language behind that is the word Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were ruling in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a Chaldean king, but their language and their culture as Chaldeans, it goes back a long, long way before that. They were into astrology, they were into philosophy, but most importantly, they worshipped foreign gods. They were into many things which the Jews were not to delve into. Daniel and his friends, they were a long way from home in every way you can think of. They were a very long way from anything that was comfortable, anything that they'd grown up with. There's more to chapter one, verse four. They were going to be taught the language and the ways of the Chaldeans. As, um, as far as our Bibles go, the Chaldeans take us back to Genesis chapter 11. As far um, God called Abram 
to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land of Canaan. So in a sense, Daniel and his friends were being taken back to before when God called Abraham. They were being taken back to before God's people became God's people. These men are a long way from home in every way that you can think of. When you are a long way from home, it's very easy to give in, very easy to just go along with the flow, um, to lose your distinctiveness. It's easy to get involved in things which you wouldn't do at home. But everything is infinitely worse for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. These men, these young men, they were on the losing end of warfare. No doubt they would have seen terrible things that go with warfare. The nightmares would be recurring. The emotional baggage would be huge. There's a song, it goes, this is a long time ago, but there is a song about, from back in the 70s about the Vietnam vets. It's one they've kind of adopted, um, written by a bloke called John Schumann. It goes like this. And can you tell me, doctor, why I still can't get to sleep? And while the why the Channel 7 chopper chills me to my feet? And what's this rash that comes and goes? Can you tell me what it means? God help me, I was only 19. Wars play with people's minds. The sound of a helicopter brings on nightmares and flashbacks. Daniel was a young man on the losing end of warfare. Now he is a long way from home. But that's not all, it gets worse. Any Jew in Babylon should have known that they were there because their friends, their parents, their grandparents themselves had disobeyed God. They had disobeyed God by breaking his commandments. The commandments like, you shall have no other gods before me. Or commandments like, you shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Daniel would have known that that is why he and his countrymen were in Babylon. Because they had failed to obey God. And now they're being pressured to do the very same things. Pressured to serve foreign gods. To pray to statues. They were to be taught the ways of the Chaldeans and their gods. These young men were a long, long, long way from home in every way that you can think of. And it is easy to give in when you're a long way from home. Um, let's get this into perspective once and for all. Keep a finger in Daniel. Turn in your Bibles back to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. We will come back to Daniel, so keep something in there too. But if you come back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, see if you can find verse 45, because here what we have is in Deuteronomy, we have Moses who's just given the law to the people again, a second time, after their 40 years of wandering around in the desert. And Moses has finished everything up saying, here's the blessings you'll have if you keep the covenant. And here's the curses if you don't. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 45. Let's get a bit of a feel for a little more of what Daniel is going through. 28 verse 45, all these curses will come upon you 
They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees he gave you. Verse 46, they will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly in a time of prosperity, therefore in hunger and in thirst, in nakedness and in dire poverty, you will serve the enemies of the Lord, serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Moses here, he's speaking about the punishment that Daniel and his friends are now experiencing, living in, um, beginning to live in. It gets worse, though, if you keep reading in Deuteronomy, if you look down at verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you do not understand, a fierce looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine or oil, nor any calves or, the, or herds or lambs of your flocks until they are ruined. Verse 52, they will lay siege to all the cities throughout your land until high fortified walls in which you trust will fall down. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving to you. If you jump down to verse 53, this bit, it's pretty hard to read. Verse 53, because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of the womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. And I'll stop reading there. It's horrible. That's, that's enough, isn't it? The horror of warfare. The things that will happen when God's people break their covenant, disobey the Lord. Um, you can read about these events of the exile in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. Or you can read Lamentations to get a feel for how low the Israelites were when they were decimated. I mean, this is horrible. The nation of Israel, they hit a high point under David and then Solomon after him, but now they are completely destroyed because they did not live for the Lord. Daniel and his friends found themselves being trained to serve a foreign king. They would have been through hell before this, and now they are a long way from home. It's easy to give in. When you're so far from home the pressure is on daniel he must have felt infinitely worse than that little eight-year-old girl in new zealand not only is daniel far from home far from his family and everything that's familiar not only would he be haunted by the memories of war but he must have questioned whether god had completely abandoned him all I've given you so far is like a reconstruction reading between the lines. It's one way of thinking about these opening verses of the book of Daniel that God has abandoned his people. But as you read through the book of Daniel, you discover time and time and time again that God has not given up on his people. God has not finished with his people. He, he's punishing them, but he has not abandoned them. In fact, when you read more closely in the first um, two verses of chapter one, these verses paint a very different picture. Daniel chapter one, verses one to two. Don't concentrate on how 
that people were feeling and how Daniel felt. It doesn't go there, doesn't tell us about that. These verses don't dwell on the catastrophe of war. Instead, what these verses do is they show us the real battle, which is raging at this point in time, the real battle of sovereignty or for sovereignty. The real battle in this book is a battle between kings and between their gods. Have another look at chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. These verses, they are extremely brief and to the point. So verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Notice, no mention of the details, of what happened during that siege, nothing like that. But the detail that is brought to our attention is there in verse 2. Verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. These kings have had a battle and the victor takes the valuable religious things from the loser's temple and takes them to his own temple, to his own God. Verse 2, it is a symbolic act there. It's like saying, my God is more powerful than your God. That is what is brought to our attention here in Daniel chapter 1. You get the point? There is a battle for sovereignty here. The book of Daniel is a book about kings and their gods. And Daniel has a, a fairly minor part to play in all this. Um, there is another footnote to notice, and that's in verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar took the treasure from God's temple and took them back to the temple to his God in Babylonia. The footnote says in Shinar. Back in Genesis chapter 11, verse 2, Shinar is where the Tower of Babel was built. Babel was the tower that represented man's futile attempt to play God, to pretend to be God. Um, that tower represents mankind's feeble attempt to be God. It's the biblical symbol of human arrogance. Daniel is a book about the struggle between God and man. The struggle between God's king and human kings. That's what we're being shown here in the first couple of verses of Daniel chapter 1. Look more closely at verse 2. It says there in verse 2, The Lord, that's Yahweh, delivered Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. We are being told in verse 2 that it is God that let these things happen. God hasn't lost the battle here. God let this happen. God is still in control. It's God who permitted Nebuchadnezzar to do what he did. I mean, we've already seen in Deuteronomy, that is what God said he would do if his people disobeyed him. God is in control here. And as you look through chapter 1 of Daniel, you'll notice God is still acting. He hasn't abandoned his people. He is still acting. So in verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. It's God who did that and made that happen. Or if you look at verse 17, these four young men 
God to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Yeah, sure, they've got this training program happening. It's God who is giving them their knowledge. God is still acting. And there's the amazing verse, verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That is significant because King Cyrus is the king who um, tells the Jews that they can go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding their walls and rebuilding their temple and their city. In other words, Daniel lived through this whole entire time of the exile. God preserved him. He didn't abandon him. He preserved him through the period of the exile. God has not abandoned his people. He has the whole world in his hands and he's working to a plan for his people. A plan that he revealed to Moses many, many, many years before. So again, if you come back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and look at the first three verses, Deuteronomy verse, uh, 30 verses 1 to 3. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Those verses from Deuteronomy chapter 30, they are probably what Daniel reflects on when we read in chapter 9 that he begs for forgiveness on behalf of his people. What I'm showing you now, though, is that God is working to a plan, the plan he showed Moses many, many, many years before. God has the whole world in his hands. He is working to a plan. Yeah, it's easy to give up when you're a long way from home, but Daniel is held up for us as an example of someone who keeps trusting. There's more to God's plan that, you, that you'll see in the book of Daniel. Um, Israel, yeah, they do return from uh, to Jerusalem. They do rebuild the walls, their city and their temple. But then they rebel against God again. And that cycle would continue and be repeated. And it would be repeated forever if God did not send Jesus. Jesus is the only God-man who will ever exist. He is the perfect Israelite. He's also God's king. We've been seeing all this as we've been looking through Luke's gospel. And Jesus calls us Gentiles, us non-Jews, into his kingdom as well. He calls us to be part of his people. He calls us to be children of Abraham, to have the same trust, the same faith as Abraham, and to be included in God's people that way. And you can read about all this in Passages like Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11. It's all played out for you there. The point is, God has the whole world in his hands. He's working to a plan and we fit into that plan. And if we put our trust in Jesus, God will take care of us. It's easy to give in when we're a long way from home, but Daniel is someone who's held up as an example of a man who kept trusting even when it meant being different. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, they're a long way from home here. They're being trained to serve a foreign king. They have their names changed. 
they learn another language, they're forced to go along with everything these foreigners do. But then in verse 8, Daniel draws a line and he says, that's enough. He says no to eating the food, the royal food. Um, so if you have a look at verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I presume this food's not prepared according to kosher Jewish customs. I presume that's why the language of defiling himself is used. It may also be that Daniel would be eating off the, off the king's table, a kind of betrayal there perhaps. Why does Daniel draw the line there? Why does he draw the line at the food? Why not stop them changing his name if he could? Why not try to stop something else? Well, we're not told. My guess is that he also said no to other things too. But this one is recorded for us because of the amazing outcome. In effect, God backed Daniel in his decision. Daniel requested nothing but veggies for food. And look at what God did in verses 15 and 16. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. The point is, it's easy to give in when you're a long way from home, but God has the whole world in his hands. And as Daniel kept trusting, um, and so Daniel kept trusting even when it meant being different. And God backed him in that. Instead of giving in, Daniel stands up for what he believes. He refuses to, to, to blend in and become like everybody else. He refuses to lose his distinctiveness as an Israelite, someone who serves the living God. Um, and his tenacity, as you see it through Daniel, it's awkward. It's confronting. It gets people's backs up. But the thing is, he keeps trusting, even when it means being different, and even when it means being awkwardly different. And so for us, as Christians, as we read through Daniel, it's inspiring. We're called on to live in a similar way to Daniel. As followers of Jesus, we too, we're a long way from the home that God is preparing for us in heaven with Jesus. We're called on to live as strangers in this world. Um, Jesus talks about us being salt and light in the world. The Apostle Peter talks about us being aliens in the world, strangers in the world, sojourners. Have a look at 1 Peter. I know it's the other end of the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, strangers in the world, God's people. Or down in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived among in ignorance. But just as you who he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here. In reverent fear. It is easy to give in when you're a long way from home, when you're a long way from where you belong. 
but don't give in. Keep trusting, even when it means being very different to people around you. Um, if we're holding Daniel up as an example of someone who could, who trusted God, then it's important to notice Daniel didn't go into some sort of um, monastery or lockdown. He didn't cut himself off from the world. He didn't hide in a corner and, uh, and shelter himself from the world. He didn't cut himself off from day-to-day -day life. He lived in the world of the Babylonians. He served this foreign king. He succeeded in the world of the Babylonians, but he never completely fitted in. He stood out like the eyes on a snail because he would not serve human gods. And as Christians, we're called to have that kind of distinctiveness. We're called on to have a love for each other that shows we're Jesus' disciples. We're called on to be salt and light. It's like every action that we take, everything we do, is it's publicity for who God is, the God that we serve. Years and years ago, um, when we were living in Algister, the kids went to Sunnybank State School. Um, Lachlan's year one teacher uh, wanted the kids to behave in the playground at break time. And her words got recounted to us and stick in my mind. She said she wanted the kids to have restaurant manners. She meant she wanted them to behave. She wanted them, them to be exemplary in how they behaved. I mean, we want our kids to behave like that, don't we? When we're out, we want them to behave with restaurant manners. Otherwise, it reflects poorly on us. As God's children, we need to be reminded to behave when we're out. We need to have restaurant manners. Daniel, he could have left his Jewishness at home, but he didn't. He kept his manners. The manners that he'd learned in his home. As followers of Jesus living in this world, we are a long way from the home that God is preparing for us in heaven with Jesus. And as we wait to come home, we live as aliens and strangers passing through this world. Our hope is set on heaven and we serve God. Our restaurant manners, it's gonna, it's gonna show in every part of our lives. We're the ones who, you know, we'll be the ones who put coming to church above kids sport on a Sunday all the awkwardness that comes with that being the only person the only family in your street who behaves that way we're the weird people who, who say no to a promotion because saying yes would make it so difficult to be involved with church in the way that we want to we think we know that our job is not everything we're the people who draw the line at some of the activities at that work christmas party we're the ones with the restaurant manners that, that, that don't laugh at some of the jokes when the others do. We stick out awkward like that. Why? Because our God holds this world in his hands. He's working to a plan. And because our God has sent his son to die for our sin so that we might live for him. God wants us to serve him, to serve him alone. Yeah, okay, it's, it is easy to give in when you're a long way from home, isn't it? But God has this whole world in his hands and he is not finished yet. So keep trusting, even when that means being very different from the people around you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we know that you have not abandoned us. 
you've shown your incredible love for us by sending your son Jesus to die for us when we were your enemies. Father, please forgive us for putting other things in place of you as our God. Please forgive us for our arrogance and our pride. Lord, please keep changing us to trust you and to live for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.